The, the title that we've given to this series is All That We Are. And as we go through these verses in Romans chapter 8, we're going to learn who, as Christians, who we are. We said last week we're going to hear this repeated phrase, in Christ, or in the Spirit. That's who Christians are. We are people who are in Christ. We talked about Romans 7 being a, a chapter that is, is all about the Apostle Paul talking about himself and the struggle that he has and how sin drives us deeper into ourselves. Brexley, as we get into Romans 8, this glorious chapter, suddenly the attention focuses away from Paul and onto Jesus. It's all about being in Christ, all about being in the Spirit. This is all that we are, folks, as Christians. And this morning we're going to hear that we are people who have life. Now, there was a time not so long ago, maybe about 15 or 20 years ago, that if uh, we were going on a journey, you'd have something in the car called a map. I know some of you are thinking, we know what a map is. Some of us don't know what a map is. Some of us are born in an age where you can literally press a button on your phone And it tells you where to go. But when I was growing up, I know when a lot of us were growing up, we had maps. And if we were going on a journey, if we wanted to get to a destination, we would look in the back of the map. So you either had, I don't know, like an AA um, route map. Or if you're in a city, you had a A to Z. Anyone remember those? You had an A to Z. And what you'd do if you were going to, I don't know, if you were going to Church Street, you'd look in the back of the the, map. the A to Z or the back of the map, you look at Church Street, it'll tell you the page number and a little code as well. Remember the code? So it'd be like A5 or something. <coughs> so you go to page 56, look at A5 and you find where it is. But if you were on a different page, you had to work out which code was going to send you to... It was great fun. Anyone remember that? Anyone Was anyone ever designated the, the route finder, the map person in the car? Oh, guys, you haven't lived. Like It was, it was one of the best experiences ever. I'd sit and, you've done it. Gideon's done the map before. There we go. Gideon's lived. I'd sit in the back of the car. Dad would uh, say, this is where we're going. And I'd direct Dad. I think he knew where he was going. But, but it was great fun. And you'd get to learn the different symbols. Like, oh, Dad, there's a historic monument coming up. Or Dad, there's a picnic area coming up. Uh, or Dad, we're about to cross into the border, into Scotland. Like, you'd see all these things coming up. And I have to say, with maps, you'd always get there. Like, how many of us have typed in a postcode on our phones and we've arrived at somewhere totally different? Yes. Thank, a bit of honesty. Thank you, Mark. Like, we've all done it. Some of us more than others. But with a map, you'd always get there. But here's the thing with using a map. It takes planning. It takes thought. It takes consideration. You need to sit down beforehand and work out where you're going. In order to get to the destination, you have to put some thought into it. There's a fun journey to get there, but you need to really think about where you're going. And the truth is, and this is a big truth, bigger than map reading, the things that we set our minds on will determine our destination, but also determine our journey. What we set our mind on will determine the direction in which we go and the place that we will end up. And that's true for a car journey. That's also true for life. Let's read these verses together. I want us to read the first five verses because these are such great truths for us to say of ourselves. If we're Christians, as we read these, know that these are true for you. So can we read just the first five verses of Romans chapter 8? And then we'll stop and then I'll pick up uh, uh, with the, the next few verses. Actually, let's just do the first four. Verses 1 to 4. Okay, here we go. Don't leave me hanging here. Let's read it together. Okay, let's go. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay, stop there. Let me read on for us. This is where we're going to camp out this morning, verses 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In these eight verses that we've been in so far, Paul, I don't know whether you've noticed, has introduced these two different people. He says there are those who live in the flesh and there are those who live in the spirit. Two people, those in the spirit, those in the flesh. And he says each, each person has a different way of thinking. And if you think back to our analogy of the map, that different way of thinking results in a different type of journey and ultimately a different destination that we all end up in first few verses that we looked at last week, verses 1 to 4, Paul introduced this idea of walking by the Spirit or walking by the flesh. And now he adds on to that idea of walking to the idea of thinking. We think by the Spirit or we think by the flesh. And he says what we think on will determine how we walk. Paul says there is one way to walk that is marked by peace and whose destination is eternal life. And let me just say, that is what all of us want. Whether we're a Christian or not, that is what we want, life and peace. And you might not wrap that up like maybe the way Christians wrap it up, but that is what we all want. We come into this life wanting life and peace. And Paul says there is a way to get there. There is a way to walk. There is a journey to take where the destination will be peace and life, not just life here, but life eternal. But he also says there is another way to walk. A way that is marked with hostility to God. And the destination of that journey, he says, is death. And which mind we have will determine which journey we take, folks. And there are only two options. The flesh or the spirit. The flesh brings life and peace. Sorry, the other way around. The spirit brings life and peace. The flesh brings death. And when Paul's talking about the flesh, don't think of like, in fact, whenever you see flesh in the New Testament, by and large, it's not talking about the stuff that we have over our skeletons here. Like it's not skin and muscle. He's talking about our nature. Our flesh is, is to be related to our fallen nature. So the sin-dominated, unredeemed nature, a way of life without God that just lives to please itself. That's what a life in the flesh is. And we all live that way or have lived that way. If you're a Christian, you once lived in that way. It's a way of thinking where we, we live in a way that we think leads us to freedom. But actually living in the flesh is, is to live in completely the opposite way. Living in the flesh, folks, is a limited life. And it's a life that strips us of real purpose and real value. 
Let me show you what I mean by that. To have a fleshly mindset, to to think of of a life that is built on your own desires, to live for yourself, to, to walk your own path, to discover your purpose in life. And we hear those things a lot. For you to make your own journey, that kind of life, a life outside of God, a life where you make your own life. And that is a life, folks, that is celebrated by the world, isn't it? The world lifts that kind of journey of self-discovery up. But actually, if you take that kind of life to its logical conclusion, if we are, if each one of us is to, to find our own purpose in life, if we are all to take our own journey in life and discover what life is for ourselves, if we take that to its logical conclusion, then you have a purpose, I have a purpose, we each have our own purpose in life. In fact, there are almost 8 billion different purposes in life. And what is once held up, held up by the world as being this thing of beauty where you discover your own purpose now just becomes a grain of sand in a pile of billions of other grains of sands. Your unique purpose has suddenly become very, very insignificant as it's lost amongst almost 8 billion other unique purposes. But that is not how God created us. God created all of us with a glorious purpose, a purpose that brings us onto a road which leads to peace and life. Actually, if you look at the passage in verse 8, it shows us what that purpose is. Verse 8, Paul said, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so if you flip that around, those who are in the spirit can please God. Our purpose for existence, every single one of us, all of humanity, our purpose for existence is to please God. It's what the Bible calls glorifying him, to make much of him. But to please our own flesh, to try and build our own purpose, to fulfill our own desires, that kind of life, that life in the flesh will constrain us from that. It will constrain us and hold us back from fulfilling the grand purpose that God has given us. A purpose in which we can flourish right now. Like it's not just about the destination, remember, it's about the journey. And God isn't saying, okay, you're going to struggle along in this journey and then you have life and peace. No, there is life and peace for those who have the spirit now. But there are also eternal consequences. Verse 6, Paul says really clearly that the mind that is set on the flesh will bring death. Death now and death eternally. Remember back if you were here last week, back in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are out of Christ Jesus, if you are in the flesh, there is condemnation for you. There is judgment for you. There is punishment from God for you. Not, not because of what he has done, but because what you have done. It's condemnation for your sin, for your rebellion, for your turning back on God. There is eternal consequences for living in the flesh. Those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit have different journeys and dis- different destinations. I want us just to be really clear here. There are only two people that Paul's talking about here. There are two categories. Those who are in the spirit and those who are in the flesh. He's talking about those who are Christians and those who aren't Christians. Those who are in the flesh. He's not talking about Christians who might be tempted to to indulge in the flesh now and again. He's not talking about that. He's saying you're either in the flesh or in the spirit. That kind of wrestle with, with indulging in the flesh, that's going to come later on in verse 13. But for now, he's saying you either live in one or the other. All of us once lived in the flesh or are living in the flesh. And are journeying towards condemnation for our sin and eternal death. But for Christians, at the moment that you were saved, 
If you are in the spirit, if you are a Christian, at the moment you were saved, the moment you were born again, you were transferred from a life that was dominated in the flesh to a life that is now dominated by the spirit. You are given a new life. You are given new minds. You are given new attitudes. You are given new ways of thinking, new affections, new ways of thinking about God, new ways about thinking about each other. You have been given a new life. And in that life, the life in the spirit, what you will crave more than anything Paul says, is the things of the Spirit. Now we will still, now and again, enjoy the taste of that old life that we had sometimes, but our appetite has changed. And the change that we have been given, this change of appetite, the change of life that we have been given, gives us enjoyment here. It does. Like You can see the future destination of a life in the flesh is clear, it's death. But the journey to get there is significant as well. As much as the world, as much as even our hearts and Satan will try and tell us it is a life apart from God, a life following our own desires is not a fruitful life. It is not a life-giving life. A life apart from God is a frustrating life, a life that is exhausting, a life that is life-taking. Because God has created humanity to flourish in relationship with him, enjoying him as we live out his purposes in this world. And I want to, like, some people just try and stay away from this. Oh, enjoyment is just for when we get to heaven. Enjoyment is just when we get to be with God. That's rubbish. Christians can enjoy life now, and we should enjoy life now. Because we have been given a glorious purpose. And when we fulfill that purpose, we should feel joy. Like, we all know what that is. We all know that feeling of accomplishment, right? When you're given a job, when you're given a purpose, when Andy's talking about flat pack pack furniture, putting that stuff in the house this week. We've all been there, right? Like we get, the, we get the cardboard box and we carefully undo it, not cutting anything underneath. And then we get the, inst- the cryptic instructions with the cryptic tool and the cryptic pieces. And after getting the door on the- eventually we get there. But when we get there, doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel, amen. It feels like we have accomplished something. Like we have fulfilled a purpose. We can take on anything after we've built that little stool. We could build a house. <laughs> we know what it is to have a purpose and to accomplish that purpose and to feel fulfilled, right? Christians, that is what we feel when we, when we fulfill the purpose that God has given us. To enjoy him, to glorify him. We feel joy. We feel like we should enjoy this life. And that, don't feel guilty at that. That's not prosperity gospel. That's the gospel. If we follow our own desires, though, folks, if you are driven by anything other than God, if you're trying to find fulfillment in anything other than the glorious purpose that God has given us to enjoy him, folks, that will just exhaust us. And let me stick my neck out on here and say this. Trying to live in that way, being in the flesh, trying to live and find your own purpose, that is to live a substandard life. That feels like... That's a little bit, you just, I don't know, feel a bit uncomfortable with saying that, but it's, but it's true. What I mean by a substandard life is this, like, the Christian life is hard, but it is better. It is a narrow path, but it is better. See, we need to try and just deconstruct a little bit what we mean when we say life. Life, when it's spoken by the world, means a certain kind of thing. It might be, I don't know, sometimes good things, like having 
the, the stable family or, or the big house or the car or the, the job or, or the good kids, whatever it is. And actually, we'd be lying if we said, oh, we don't, we don't, we don't want some of that. I think we'd all be lying if we said, I, I fancy maybe a little bit more money or, or a bit more of a stable family or just, I don't know, we'd be lying if we said we, we don't like those things and those things, folks, are good things, but those things on their own will never actually give us what we really need to live. In fact, there are far too many stories that we could talk about of people who've pursued one of those things, the family or the money or the job or the house or whatever it is, and just poured their life into those things and ended up peaceless, ended up exhausted. I want to encourage us, if we are in the spirit, if we are Christians this morning, we may not have stacks of money in the bank, we may not have the perfect home, we may not have the perfect body, but what we have, dwarfs all of that. Those who set their minds on the spirit. Let me just list out a few things. We get to enjoy an eternal peace that others don't have. We have an immovable joy that others don't have. We have an unconditional love that others don't have. We have the freedom from the guilt and shame that crushes those who, who don't have a way of dealing with that. We have the freedom to to live a life without the crushing weight of of trying to please a higher power. We have the delight of the creator of the universe. And we have constant access to ask him for whatever we need. We have entry into a community who are for us and with us, not just wanting to take from us. We have a steadfast hope for what awaits us after death. We have a power within us by the Holy Spirit that every day is changing us to be more and more and more human. Jesus is the true human, right? And that's what the Spirit is doing, changing us to be more like him. We have forgiveness for all of our sin, past, present, and future. We have an advocate right now in the presence of God. We have an advocate who is pleading on our behalf, pleading our innocence. The life that you have in Christ is a better life. Being controlled by your own desires, a life that is in the Spirit will lead to a life that is far less than what it should be. That's what I mean by substandard. God has created you for so much more. Now, it does not mean that if you are in Christ, if you have your mindset on the Spirit, if you are a Christian, it does not mean that we are immune to struggle. Like, you will only sit in one of two camps. You are either in the Spirit or in the flesh, but our hearts can deceive us. And so the application that is driving here in the passage is this. Keep your mind on the Spirit. You will struggle, Christian. You will falter. You will see the flesh and want to take hold of it. And so keep your mind on the Spirit. And what that means simply is this. Consume your mind with Jesus. There's a really helpful example that just unpacks this a little bit more. Don't worry about 10 in there. But in 1 John chapter 3, John kind of describes what it looks like practically. He gives us a practical example of what it is to keep your mind on the Spirit, what it is to be consumed with Jesus. 1 John 3.20 says this, Whenever our hearts condemn us, he's talking to Christians, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And we know what he's talking about. We know that feeling of our heart feeling heavy. So those times when we sin, when we know that we've done wrong, and we just feel that heaviness in our heart, that, that kind of carrying of guilt and shame or, or, a, or a deep sense of unworthiness when we know that we've done wrong. And a classic sign of, of whether you're in that place is, is one of two things usually. Either you feel completely apathetic to the world around you and you just shut down. 
and you withdraw. Or you can go to the other extreme and work and overwork and try and somehow pay God back for what you've done wrong. When we feel that way, when we feel that shame and that guilt for when we've done wrong, when we feel that kind of just crushing feeling, John is saying that is your heart condemning. But remember, and we know this from last week, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word condemn doesn't belong in the Christian dictionary. Or it does, but it's got nothing to do with us anymore. And so what John is saying, when your heart is condemning you, when you feel that that sense of condemnation, that is not who you are. Your heart is lying to you. And in those moments, John is saying, what you need to do in that moment, you feel like your heart is condemning you, is lift your eyes to God. Lift your eyes to Jesus. And remember that God is greater. Draw your mind to Jesus. And allow the truth of Jesus and who you are in Christ to move over the head of your heart in those moments. Because that's what it looks like. That's a a practical illustration of what it looks like to to keep your mind on the spirit, to consume yourself with Jesus. Your heart will condemn you, the flesh will tempt you, the world will tempt you. And John says, in those moments, remember that God is greater. Turn your gaze to him. Turn your gaze to Jesus. Let me just read verse 6 from our passage again. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. That is the result of when we set our minds on Jesus. Life and peace, eternally and now. To set our mind on Jesus is to bring us peace. To set our mind on the things of the spirit is to think about the things that the spirit is about. And the rest of chapter 8 is going to tell us what that is. But by and large, it's Jesus. Like the Spirit works in us to make much of Jesus. The Spirit is always trying to draw us more towards Jesus. The Spirit is always trying to make us more like Jesus. That's what he loves to do. And so when we set our mind on the things of the Spirit, we're setting our mind on Jesus. And Paul says, when we do, we will have peace. To set our mind on Jesus is to have peace. And actually, the Bible is clear about that right from the start. Peace, shalom, that place where we find in our hearts where we can just say, it is well with my soul. That, that kind of peace, the Bible says, that can only be found in Jesus. And all the way through scripture, that link is made. Jesus and peace, Jesus and peace, Jesus and peace. The Old Testament, Isaiah, let me just read a few. Isaiah 26 verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you. Isaiah 53 verse 5, talking about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. This is uh, Jesus talking in John 14. He says, peace I I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Again, in John 16, he says this. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Peace, all the way through scripture, God is saying, if you want peace, come to Jesus. That is the only place where you will find it. Jesus, peace. Jesus, peace. Probably know this one from Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and 
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I hope we're there. I hope we've got that link. Jesus and peace. Jesus and peace. If we want to have peace, folks, we need to come to Jesus. And so if this morning, if you don't feel that, if you don't feel that sense of peace, can I just, can I suggest that's because of one of two reasons? Number one, it could be that your mind is set on the flesh. You are not in Christ. And so my simple encouragement to you this morning is put your faith in Jesus. And I think ultimately we want the same things, life and peace. But God is clear. God who created us is clear. The only place to find that is in Jesus. So come to him and put your faith in him. Well, number two, maybe your mind isn't set on the flesh. Maybe you are in Christ. You are a Christian but you're not filling your mind with Jesus. Can I encourage you, just really simply, fill your mind with Jesus. Set your mind on Jesus. Listen to his words. And the result as you do will be peace. Jesus, peace. Jesus, peace. Folks, I think, for those of us who are Christians, I think sometimes we... We miss or we don't quite appreciate the weight that it is to have peace from God. I think the weight of it gets lost on us sometimes. And actually, as Paul just finishes in verse uh, 7 and 8 there, he helps us just to see the gravity and the weight that comes with having peace. He contrasts peace with, with this idea of hostility. So he says the man that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So if you're in the flesh, he's saying that, that you have no interest in God's kingdom or his purposes. And he goes as far to say that you have set yourself up. You are an enemy against God. You are hostile towards God. And in fact, you can't do anything else but be an enemy to God. And I would just want to say this to be really clear. Someone who is in the flesh, a mind that is set on the flesh, someone who isn't a Christian may be able to see Uh, particular actions or particular things that are unhelpful or unfruitful or destructive in their lives. And he may even be able to cut it out and clear those things out of their lives. But the root is still there. There is still an underlying hostility to God and sin will sprout up again. And verse 8, Paul says this. Those people, God is not pleased with them. Just let that, let that phrase just sink in for a moment. If that is you, God is not pleased with you. Don't let the gravity of that statement go by you this morning. On your own, you cannot please God. A mind that is set on the flesh can do and can think good things, but not in a way that pleases God because it grows from a mind that is hostile to God. Think of it like this. Imagine we're in a war together. And we see the enemy commander on the other side of the battlefield. And we see him really looking after his soldiers and feeding them well and encouraging them and doing good things for them. Really looking, for, looking out for them and, and protecting them and being a great commander. The, he's our enemy, but he's really good at what he does. Like it would be strange if we stood and we applauded him and said, oh, we're really pleased with that. We're delighted with you. That is how God views those who are, who are his enemies. They may do good things every now and again, 
They may care for the things around them, but for as long as they are God's enemies, God is not pleased with them. There is hostility between them and God. But for those who are in Christ, you are no longer God's enemies. Jesus' life, death, his resurrection have removed the hostility between us and God, and so we are no longer God's enemies. We're not even neutrals. We're not his friends. That's what the Bible says. Those who've been born again are God's friends. The desire of every one of us folks who walks this earth is the same. We want life and we want peace. The only place to find that is in Jesus. So if you need life and peace this morning, set your mind on him. Set your mind on Jesus. Consume your mind with him. We have a great opportunity to do that now as we share this meal together. The Lord's Supper does a wonderful work of deliberately tuning our focus into Jesus. Helping us just to push other things aside, even just for five minutes, just to push them aside and just to think on Jesus. And so as I break the bread and we pass around uh, the bread and the, the wine and the juice, I want to encourage us to do that, to think on him to fill our minds with Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his work that he is doing right now at the right hand of the Father. If you're a Christian, this meal is for you. It's for you to bring your remembrance to Jesus. So could you do that? And as you do that, know that God will give you peace. Jesus and peace. Jesus and peace. Let me break the bread and... Ryan's going to bring around um, the Lord's Supper. Just take it. When you're finished, just leave the plate at the end of your seat. And then when we're done, Mark and Elizabeth are going to come up and lead us in a couple of songs. Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for all that it calls us to remember. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that in obedience you came and you lived amongst us the perfect life. A life with no hostility towards the Father. A life where you receive the love of the Father. We thank you that at the cross you stood in our place. All of the condemnation, all of the judgment for our sin that was directed towards us was poured out on you for those who are in Christ. So Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you for your blood that was shed so that we could be forgiven of our sins and so that we could be given a new life, a life with a new appetite, a life with new affections and desires. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, how you draw us towards wanting more of Jesus. And so right now, Holy Spirit, that is what we want. We want Jesus. We want more of him. We want his peace and we want his life. And so as we feast on this meal, Holy Spirit, nourish us. Fill us, feed us with Christ as we remember his life, his death, his resurrection from the grave. As we remember his ascension and the work he does right now, feed us, sustain us, we pray. And so Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for taking the burden, the penalty, the punishment of our sin. And we thank you that you've opened the door for, for life. Life now and life eternal for peace peace now and peace eternal. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for all that you've done. It's in your name that we pray.